This is Post-Mormon in the Movies, Episode 12, Fiddler on the Roof. Welcome to another episode of Post-Mormon at the Movies. We are back again. Yeah. We made it to February. We're here. <laughs> That's kind of a big achievement given how, you know, everything in 2020, every, everybody was scared about 2021. And <laughs> Yeah, so just a, by way of sort of introduction on the normal podcast stuff, uh, if this is your first time listening, we're happy to, to have you here. If this is not your first time listening, you've been here before, uh, you should be subscribed by now. You know, you should hit that little notification button to get a subscribe, little ping whenever a new episode comes up, like us, rate us on whatever podcast app you're using. We would sure appreciate it. That's right. And thank you to everyone who already is, because yes. that helps for sure. So what are, we, what are we talking about this week, Nick? We are talking about those dang fiddlers on the roofs. Yeah, I always thought like how funny it would be like the the timpanist on the roof or like, <laughs> yeah, you the... know, the bassist on the roof. <laughs> Just like thinking of really funny, big, clunky instruments right. <laughs> to keep up there. I would say that this one is generally well-loved by Mormons. Yeah, I would say this is, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen the Book of Mormon musical, but I would hazard uh-huh. a guess that this musical is probably... More Mormon than Book of Mormon musical. <laughs> yeah, maybe. In some ways, <laughs> Or at for least sure. to, to the faithful perspective. This yeah. probably feels more like home. Right. And, and I thought maybe it would be a good idea to start out since the, I th- other than like the Disney ones we've done, like the Frozen episodes. Like, right. I think this is our first musical Yeah. Um, that we're doing. And so maybe it might be fun to talk about musicals and maybe why that might, they might be so popular among Mormons and I because I don't know in general but like I know for my family and like several of our you know friends in the church growing up that musicals were kind of like big and popular and something that yeah absolutely we all enjoyed and liked a lot and even if you weren't into the theater scene like even if you weren't you know going to plays all the time it's still something that you'd listen to and would have movies of we talked a little bit about that with Frozen I think of just the idea that I think musicals and musicals and Disney movies are so sort of interconnected that I think there's a lot of crossover. You know, so many Disney movies are musicals and Mormons just love Disney. I think musicals, it's a lot of the same things. Like musicals tend to be not so PG-13 or R-rated. Like it's something the whole right. family can usually watch. Right. Obviously, there's exceptions to that, but... Mm-hmm. But most of the musicals that are like the Mormon staples of like Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and yeah. The Music Man and, you know, these classic musicals, I think, are just kind of the bread and butter of Mormon entertainment because they're so innocuous and wholesome. Yeah. And I always feel like there's like a moral of the story to be learned. Yeah. And in a similar way that, you know, we're talking about gleaning like messages or nuggets of truth out of movies in a similar way 
Mormonism is all about embracing like wholesome, virtuous entertainment and media. And so if we can get that through song, great. If we can get that through musical theater, great. You yeah. Know? Yeah, definitely. I feel like for Mormons, there's a big emphasis on the importance of music. And even if like you don't play or even if you don't sing or anything like that, it's still something that is respected and considered a very worthwhile activity mm-hmm. to engage in. And just thinking about that, I I had a conversation with our one of our high school band directors. You remember Mr. Clearwater? Mm-hmm. I was having a conversation with him one time and the topic turned to all the Mormon kids in the band and he knew that I was Mormon. Yeah. And he, he was telling me that the music program at our high school would not be as successful if it weren't for all of the dedicated Mormon kids participating in all the music programs yeah. at our high school. And I guess we were a little bit of anomaly because like, we were right where the Houston Temple was. And so there was mm-hmm. probably a higher concentration of LDS kids in the area. Yeah, definitely. But I think that just speaks to the fact that this is something, you know, music, musicals, performing arts is something that Mormons value. Yeah, I think that's the other big point that I would have made, too, is just how sort of woven into the faith music is. And I think, you know, I've known multiple families where every, you know, out of all their kids, every kid learned an instrument, sang in choirs, you know, like the music was just a foundational aspect of of their family. And, And I feel like your family seems like one of those families where music is like to everyone in your family, music is super important. Yeah. And I feel like even my family enjoys music and, and all the kids learned instruments and music was important, but like we weren't as diehard, I guess, as maybe some other families. But even us, it was like, we still watch the musicals on Sundays and we still, you know, like music was just still such a huge part uh, and, and tied to church so much in my mind. It would be unfortunate to not mention Thomas S. Monson and musicals. I think growing yeah. up, so many general conference talks, he was referencing musicals that those were like, you know, that was obviously what he watched the most was musicals. And so and so I think that it's just, you know, it had sort of that stamp of approval from yeah. high, high up, you know, yeah. of like musicals are ordained <laughs> entertainment. Yeah. And um, obviously that doesn't extend to every musical, but. You know, there were just tons of references in general conference yeah. and into this mu- musical specifically, quite a bit of yeah. talks and, and articles in church magazines reference Fiddler on the Roof. Mm-hmm. I remember at least a couple that, you know, specifically mentioned this and themes in it. Yeah. I thought it would be kind of fun to just kind of give a history of the story of where it comes from. Yeah. So first there was a collection of stories written by a guy named Sholem Alechem. I don't mm-hmm. know if I'm pronouncing his name right. Better than I could do. He's been described as the Jewish Mark Twain. Hey, that is a cool descriptor. <laughs> yeah. He lived around the same time period, um, and I think he's from Eastern Europe or something, but he, he wrote a collection. You know, he was a writer, has a collection of mm-hmm. stories, and one of the stories was about a milkman named Tevye um, and his five daughters. So that was around for a while, and then the there was a musical. It wasn't a movie yet, but it was a stage musical first. Mm-hmm. And that came around in 1964. And it did really well. 
the year it came out, it was nominated for 10 Tony Awards and won nine of them. And then 1971 is when the film was made. And so that's that's what we're talking about today is yeah. the film version. And to put it in context, I guess, of like Hollywood, the 60s saw a big revival of musicals. Uh, so you're, you know, Mary Poppins comes out at that time. And mm-hmm. and that's kind of that's one of the big musicals we watched growing up. But yeah. um, I mean, there's kind of this decade of musicals after the 50s sort of saw the Westerns explode mm-hmm. again. And um, I'm thinking like Music Man. and Right. But yeah, you know, the 60s had a big explosion of musicals. They were really popular. But toward the end, they started to, to fizzle out. And the 70s starts to get this like postmodern sort of or modern sort of wave of of movies that are like Scorsese and, you know, all these mm. sort of like people who are like are trying to sort of like subvert Hollywood stories start to make movies in the 70s. And so I think this people saw this movie as kind of risky at the time because mm-hmm. it didn't fit, you know, with sort of the other movies coming out for adults. And and then it became the top grossing movie of the year. Like it was a huge success as a mm-hmm. movie, too. So, yeah, it definitely earns its place, I think, in sort of the pantheon of great movie musicals like this one is well beloved right and i i think around that time period there was a worry that you know is this going to be appealing to people who are not jewish yeah you know and the story takes place in 1905 around a small jewish Mm -hmm. community but i think that they do a really good job of making it applicable to anyone yeah it's super accessible and I think despite being very specific and authentic and, and from what all I little, you know, reads preparing for this podcast, that was a huge thing that they wanted was to be authentic. And so I can't judge them on whether it is or not, but it felt yeah. really specific. And I think that specific, anytime specifics like that for characters or in a story, like it just makes it more universal because it feels real. And we start to apply it, like you were saying. But I think, in particular, Mormons can find some very strong connection to this story. So, yeah, we've got a religious, tight-knit, conservative group. And I think that that's something that Mormons can identify with a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And not to spoil the movie, hopefully you've seen it if you're listening (laughs) to this podcast, but... But I think like not just like the tight knit sort of like super conservative, very obviously traditions is a big thing in this mm-hmm. community. Yeah. And uh, all that I think is relatable. But I think also like the persecution side of it that like they just aren't they don't feel welcome and they aren't welcome. And then they're driven out of their home to go find a new home. And I think that that obviously is a huge part of sort of church mormon history of yeah. you know being driven from place to place and and so yeah i think there's just a lot of kinship and sort of like between mormons and 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 i think jewish people in general like i feel like yeah maybe this isn't kosher <laughs> to say <laughs> but but i feel like uh mormons i feel like are sort of the most jewish christian religion i feel like i can see that i mean who else talks about tribes you know right yeah <laughs> One thing I was going to, I want to say this before we get too much further. Mm-hmm. I feel like it might be important to say. I, I think that you're absolutely right. There is lots of connections between 
the Jewish story, at least that's what, what's been portrayed in this movie. And as far right. as um, the Mormon connection, I have unfortunately heard some members of the church or like heard stories of people online that compare the things that the Mormons went through to things like, like the Holocaust. Right. And I yeah. just want to get out there and say, I don't think that's the case. I don't, you know, as we go through this podcast episode and make connections, I don't want to say that, you know, what Mormons went through is the same as what Jews went through. Yeah. Even though this story is is happened like way before the Holocaust, there's still the pogroms and everything going on. And so mm-hmm. um, I just want to make that clear. There are connections, but it's not the same. Right. And I think that, yeah, I think that's a really good disclaimer to make. I think that there are some differences. Obviously, that comparison cannot hold up because... It just doesn't, yeah. it doesn't connect in, in, in the end. And I think obviously what we're seeing portrayed in this movie is a family and a community that really has no reason to be driven out and treated the way that they ultimately are mm-hmm. because they have done nothing wrong. I think that that, at, at the very least on face value, that comparison isn't necessarily true for early church history either that I feel like growing up we heard sort of the whitewash version that would be very comparable to this. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like, uh, watching it. Cause I, I saw that too. It's like, Oh, a Mormon's going to watch this and feel like, Oh, I relate to these people. Like, because Mormons went through this too. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's, yeah, there's just the comparison is only true. If you are just looking at like the very surface level of what this movie's portraying versus what's taught in Sunday school. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think, I think that disclaimer is really important as far as, we're not trying to say and would never say anything Mormons experience, I think is comparable to obviously what Jewish people have over at least the last hundred years. Throughout like all of their history, you know? Yeah, I know. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So, but that being said, let's dig into some of the areas where there might be <laughs> some right. comparisons, I guess. Or And I think not even comparisons, but I feel like it's more like, when I watch, and, and I saw this for the first time yesterday, so I'd uh-huh. never seen Fiddler on the Roof before. All I knew about Fiddle, Fiddler on the Roof before watching it was the Gwen Stefani song, Rich Girl, and <laughs> right. how it sort of referenced yeah. uh, the If I Were a Rich Man. And there's an episode of Gilmore Girls where you know, the elementary school is putting on a play in the in the town, and the play that they choose to put on is Fiddler on the Roof. Uh-huh. And there's a whole episode where that's kind of a little subplot, and there was no one strong enough to play Tevya in the elementary school. Mm-hmm. And so they got an adult from the town who's kind of a quirky character and he's Tevya and he's singing the like, do you love me song to his wife who's played by an, <laughs> oh, no. ele- an elementary school girl. <laughs> it's a pretty funny episode. Uh, they they handle it well, but that's funny. it's pretty silly the way that they, they play it. So yeah. that was my impression. So, so what did and, you think of it? Well, yeah. So I guess I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun and um, it's, I mean, it's sort of fun to experience things that have seeped into pop culture. And obviously this movie gets referenced a lot in lots of different places. Mm-hmm. And so it's fun to like finally make the connection of like, oh, that's where it comes from. But even then, I think it was just a really good movie. I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. I think that's the case for most people who watch it. Yeah. And I could see that because it's just a good movie. Yeah. I, I will say that, um... Not too long into watching the movie, I turned to my wife and said, uh, Tevia sounds exactly like Tom Hardy as Bane in The Dark Knight Rises. And she was like, 
I could hear it. Yeah. Like, like I don't want to ruin the movie for you, but he <laughs> sounds just like Bane. Yeah, just kind of the Batman. cadence and the way that he talks. Yeah. Yes. And so I researched it, and I thought, well, why? Like, because I can't be the only one, and mm-hmm. I'm not. You can, if you Google it, you'll find some articles and stuff about it. But apparently, Tom Hardy based like his Bane voice on someone who is from like that area of Ukraine. Like, Interesting. Like this wrestler who is Ukrainian, I guess. And um, anyway. Sh- Short version is he he actually based his voice on someone from the area, so, so that's that why the reason why they sound so similar. Okay. Cool, but yeah, if you if you, you like close your eyes and listen to it, it's it's Bane <laughs> singing about Jewish tradition. Nice, the crossover <laughs> we didn't know we wanted. I and I have one more thing. Uh huh. If if people had told me that there was a character in this movie named Laser Wolf, <laughs> a you would have seen it a, a lot sooner. I, I would have seen it a lot sooner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and now I regret that we did not name our son Laser, Laser Wolf. Wolf. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, and and I just kept joking that like, and he need that needs to be like a character like Star Lord in Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, it's like some space you know hero <laughs> right. named Laser Wolf. Right. And now I just want that spinoff. Yeah. So many, so many things <laughs> that we could take this. So many directions. I know, but I enjoyed it. But as far as and, as far as like from like a filmy perspective like does it does it hold up being like from that time period i think so yeah i think that i mean i really like older movies Uh i think that you know there's a lot that obviously modern filmmaking has finessed and improved yeah when but i think even then like this movie just um is shot really well i mean some of the the shots are just so great I thought, yeah, like I thought the, the silhouettes cinema, the, on the yeah, the cinematography you know, was really cool, and like there's some things that are maybe a little dated, but overall, I thought it was really pretty. The way yeah, it holds things. up really well. I think that you know, if this movie were like written today, I feel like the music itself would probably be a little like not catchier because it is catchy, but just like it feels older. Like mm-hmm. the lyrics and the style of the lyrics feels older, and I feel like. I come out of this not really being able to like sing any songs, but knowing the music really well. Yeah. Like I can whistle the tunes. Well, and, and from from my side, like I could sing. Well, yeah, most of the songs because I'm I'm way more familiar. So how many with it. how many times have you seen it? Do you think? Oh, dozens. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that this is my favorite musical. I mean, maybe really? maybe other than Hamilton. Yeah, that's like the the caveat they have to say. Other than Hamilton, <laughs> what's your what's your favorite musical? Right, right. I think this might be it for me. Yeah. Fun fact, while we're on the topic of the music, do you know who was involved oh, with it? John Williams. John Williams. I yeah. saw him in the credits, yeah. Um, he didn't do, like, he obviously didn't do the original songs because that came from right. the musical. But he kind of arranged it. And I guess when you go from, like, a stage pit orchestra to a movie, like, you have to make it sound fuller. You know, you have more yeah. options. And so he kind of, you know, embellished it to make it a little bit better sounding for the movies, I guess. Yeah. Fun fact. That's cool. I didn't know that. And when I saw his name pop up, I'm like, is it the John Williams or yeah. is it just some other guy named John Williams? But right. pretty much whenever John Williams shows up as a music name, you know, in the credits, it's that John good. Williams. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so if you watch this, you know, growing up, uh-huh. did you make connections to like being Mormon watching it? Or is that something that never really crossed your mind I, I watching think, it? I think it absolutely did. Um, I I did make those connections from early on, and I I can't think of any specific instances, but it wouldn't surprise me 
if in my family we had like a family home evening lesson about <laughs> how we can yeah. apply Fiddler on the Roof to our lives. And mm-hmm. I know my my parents, at least my mom has like mentioned it in, you know, sacrament meeting talks or lessons at one yeah. point or another. But that's, you know, that's a big reason why I liked it as a believing Mormon. Mm-hmm. And I still like it a lot. And I think for a lot of the same reasons, I don't know. We'll, we'll get into that. We'll talk about that, I guess. But yeah. that for sure was something that was there from early on for me. So for me, one of the biggest themes or I mean, well, obviously tradition, that's like the main, mm-hmm. the main thing running throughout. What traditions do we have? Why do we have them? Where did they yeah. come from? Do we want to keep them? Are they worth having? Right. Mm-hmm. And watching, watching it this time, it made me remember something that I was thinking about um, in the years leading up to right before I left the church. Um, I was thinking a lot about doctrine versus policy versus culture. Right. And that's talked about somewhat, I, I feel, from church leaders, mm-hmm. like the distinction yeah, I, between I it. So. And and I thought that that was just something that was really made apparent in this movie, or at least something that they explored with the stories mm-hmm. of of the different daughters. Yeah, yeah, I I I think so too. I think that coming out of watching this, knowing we were going to talk about it, one of the big questions I had that I thought we should talk about is: is it possible to be just a cultural Mormon? That's a great question. I wish that we could. I, yeah, I, I've thought about I this so too. too. <laughs> I mean, and, and I guess like to put it in context, like because obviously Jewish people have varying levels of orthodoxy mm-hmm. and you have very orthodox Jews, but then you have people who are Jewish and it's just that's who they, you know, their, their culture, culture right? their their ethnicity, sort of, you know, where they come from, their family. Mm-hmm. And it's just that's they're Jewish, but they don't believe, they don't practice, and but they still can claim to be part of the, and and I think obviously because it is actually like a nationality and ethnicity of like you're coming from a certain place, right. you know, in the world if you're if you're Jewish usually or at least you can trace back mm-hmm. to there. But yeah, I think that's the big question: is that like, is it possible to just be a cultural Mormon, or do you have to be Orthodox? I I think right now it's not really possible in the culture yeah. that exists. I was reading a. Uh, this was a while back. This was probably like, you know, when I was deciding whether or not, you know, what am I going to do about staying in the church or not? But there's an article mm-hmm. I came across that it was written by an LDS author. And he was kind of like analyzing where the church is as far as its doctrines and its policies and how mainstream it is and kind of the direct possible directions that it could take in the future. And he said that it could probably only go one of two ways and the first way that it could the first path that it could take was the path of what judaism has done or catholicism has done and what that mm-hmm. means is maybe not be so uptight about rules and regulations and make it a more open environment to where you could be a cultural mormon right mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of history that i don't really know about with the jewish faith but i know that there was kind of a big change after world war ii and a lot of the there's a lot of like thought about well-known jewish thought leaders that were trying to figure out you know the religion you know where do we go from here after this huge thing happened and there was 
kind of a big shift in how Judaism worked following that. Mm-hmm. And it made it so that, you know, you could have cultural Jews. You could have people who were not necessarily like uber-religious Jewish, but that right. were more cultural. Um, and, you know, we see that in Catholicism too. Like, you can say you're Catholic, but that doesn't mean that you're, you know, going every Sunday and participating in every single thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not, hopefully this isn't offensive to <laughs> people that are listening that may be Jewish or Catholic, but that's just kind of, you know, what, what this article was saying, like that that's kind of the right. culture of those religions. And so that like, you know, what Mormon can, Mormonism can do is we want to become more mainstream. That's, that's one path we can go. The other path is, you know, with all of the social changes going on in the world today, do we double down on the things that make us unique? Do we hold even tighter to them? And, what that would do would be like alienate people who are more on the fringes or more on the, mm-hmm. you know, cultural fringes, I guess. And it would increase orthodoxy. It would increase um, kind of the strictness of it. And c- comparable religions to that, he said, were things like maybe Seventh-day Adventists or Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. Like those are kind of the two passes. And like, it's kind of in the middle right now. Um, mm-hmm. And I wish that, you know, I looked it up. I tried to find this article. I don't know who wrote it. I can't remember where I read it because yeah. it was so long ago. Otherwise, you know, I'd post it in our episode description. But mm-hmm. whether or not, you know, what he was saying is true, that I thought that those were interesting thoughts about how the church could go f- moving forward within the general society. Yeah, I think so, too. I think that right now it definitely feels between those two worlds. And I feel like it can't. It, it's OK embracing the like the double down of like holding on to the things that make the church unique. It can't fully support sort of the people who want to be related, but not believe 100%. Right. It's just a very stressful, strained relationship between those, those two camps. Yeah. And I think within, you know, like for me, like that was probably the biggest thing is Tevye's story is all about this very faithful man who wants to hold on to his traditions, but holding on to his traditions puts him at odds with his family that he loves, specifically his daughters. And it's that sort of like give and take of like what. And so all the moments in this movie where like his daughters are coming to him with sort of like, hey, I want to marry this guy. And he has this like moment where he's talking to God and he's like, which I love his little back and forth. (laughs) Yeah. where he has, And then like, so he's like suddenly like, you know, a hundred yards away. Yeah. So he can have this private moment with God. And he's like, on the one hand and on the other hand, and it's Mm -hmm. like, those moments, like, oh, I can so relate to that mm-hmm. argument in your brain of like, of like, well, you know, this is what I believed and this is what like my tradition is, but this is the thing that feels right. And it all in all of them, or at least in the first two daughters, like it wins out that it's about love, mm-hmm. you know, that he chooses the less orthodox thing, the less traditional thing in favor of love for his daughters and he can't do it. And and in both of the first two daughters' case, they're both marrying someone who's Jewish, but not who he would want them to marry. Right. You know, and but he's okay with it because they love each other and he loves the daughter and he's willing to sort of make a compromise. Sacrifice his yeah, compromise his beliefs in favor of love. But with the third daughter who's marrying someone outside the faith, that's the bigger struggle. He can't accept that one. That's where he has to draw the line. And until the end, when like, you know, the the reality is that they're going to be separated and he may never see her again. He gives his sort of implied approval of 
keeping her in the family and not treating her as she's you know that she's dead right you know kindness of kindness right there right but <laughs> yeah but i understand you know i think and i that's i see a lot of comparison and sort of similarity to mormons and and family friends you know or people who were in wards and stuff can see it's like we're willing to like put up with the problem child or the person who isn't really active and they may they may do things that like you know they may break the commandments they Mm -hmm. may but you know but they're gonna get ready for a mission and they're gonna be okay or where they went on a mission and they've fallen off the horse but like eventually they're gonna come back you know and and sort of like i think parents and family sort of can like embrace and hold that person still as a part of the faith it's the people who like totally go outside and like reject and like sort of are cut off that i feel like i see that's the bigger struggle yeah when it's more final and i feel like that tevia is struggling with with that and and i think ultimately he arrives in the place that we all should hopefully arrive at Mm -hmm. where love is the most important thing family is the most important thing and it's okay to put tradition aside in favor of those things but that's a hard thing to ask in mormonism right and you you mentioned you know with examples of mostly you know people where people are in belief or activity in the church it could be that i think it could also apply to kids that come out as gay i think it could apply to people who maybe support like the ordained women or things like that Mm -hmm. where they're not necessarily you know or they're not necessarily wanting to leave the church but there's these other things that bother them that could make you know mormon parents want to or have a hard time accepting Mm -hmm. that yeah i think we could probably make an endless list of reasons why accepting someone for being not orthodox enough is difficult in Mormonism. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I feel like that was probably the biggest thing watching this movie is just that feeling of like, you know, even as, as devoted as he is and as much as he like has this relationship with God, Tevye ends up always falling back to loving his family. And that's what drives pretty much all his actions through this whole movie. But for whatever reason, within Mormonism, for better or worse, um, it seems like you have to be either all in or all out. There's not a lot of room for right kind of middle ground or what you know what we would call cultural Mormon, I guess. Mm-hmm. Where maybe you want to be a part of the community, but maybe don't necessarily yeah. hold to all the beliefs or teachings. Yeah, and I feel like people, you know, sometimes people call them Jack Mormons, where yeah. it's people who like are Mormon but don't really live it. And I think that believing active members of the church view those people as not in between these two, like in some middle space, but it's just like they're not they're they're eventually going to become all in or they'll become all out. Like yeah. you can't stay in that middle space. Eventually you're gonna have to choose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like it's just a very black and white way to look at, you know, the the people that are in your family and friends and ward and and I yeah, like you, I wish that there was a way to like participate and be culturally Mormon without having to be all in. And, and I'm not in a position to maybe demand that or like (laughs) even ask for it. Like it's not my call, but I feel like there are lots of people in the position of wanting to participate and be involved and, and don't feel welcome. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting to have the fiddler character. Mm hmm. And part of me thinks, is Tevya the only one that can see that guy? 
Because <laughs> yeah. like he, he's definitely symbolic. He's definitely a metaphor for uh-huh. their traditions. You know. Yeah. When they have the dance in the Havala song, where where it's kind of like the three sisters dancing with the silhouettes. Mm-hmm. You know, she's there and the fiddler's there, and she's like literally being torn between her Russian, you know, Christian boyfriend, and then uh-huh. the fiddler's on the other side, like playing and trying to get her to stay over there but she eventually you know leaves so there's some symbolism there i thought it was interesting at the very end how when they're leaving anatevka and he's just kind of pulling his handcart through the mud right mm-hmm. um, <laughs> i know there were some trek flashbacks yeah, too yeah. um yeah. but you know as he's walking along he hears the violin music and he listens or fiddle music i guess and he looks behind uh-huh. him and he sees the fiddler there and he just kind of looks at him. And he's like, eh, "Come on!" He's like, kind of nods to him. He's like, "Come on, let's go!" And so it's almost as if he's he's like, you know, taking his traditions with him. He's not completely mm-hmm. abandoning him. You know, they're still important and valuable to him. And so, I, I thought that that was cool to have it be like a metaphor. But I, I, th- I don't think that there's any other scenes where the fiddler interacts with yeah other characters. So it might just be in Tevia's head, mm-hmm. which is kind of fun. Yeah. I mean, out of any instrument to have in your, you know, in your head, a fiddle isn't too bad. <laughs> yeah, not the worst. <laughs> but yeah, I I've thought the same thing that it felt like, yeah, and obviously this is just my first time viewing it, but but yeah, I felt that there's some deeper sort of symbolism there of the traditions. That was hard for me leaving the church. Yeah, there are a lot of traditions that I like in the church. There are a lot that are problematic that I don't like as well. Mm-hmm. And you go going back to thinking about like what's doctrine versus what's policy versus what's culture. You know, for me, it was, you know, cultural things that's not worth leaving the church about. I don't know about you, mm-hmm. but just like thinking about it, it's like the, a, a, a and, church can be true, but have a culture that's problematic. Right. And and when I think of like cultural things, I think of things like the non-Sunday sort of things. You, should, you know, the like the stuff that happens on Wednesday night mm-hmm. and the activities that are done and the way that auxiliary activities are conducted. And, right. And I mean, I don't know if I can pull out a specific example right now, but but yeah, it's more of just like the way that people interact with each mm-hmm. other in the like the umbrella of the Mormon church. Right. That seems to be what comes out of the culture sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. The, the way that it's all the unwritten rules that are really unwritten. Like there is no rule about this, except that we've made it a rule just over time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought of a good example. Yeah. When I was at BYU in our student ward, I had forgotten to give, I had a tithing envelope, you know, all filled out and ready mm-hmm. and had forgotten to give it to a member of the bishopric. And so, you know, the the unwritten rule is that like, and, and maybe this is actually some written rule in a handbook, but that like, you know, tithing should only be handled by a member of the bishopric mm-hmm. um, or a financial clerk who's helping them count the tithing to deposit, you know. And, yeah. And anyway, one time, so I had forgotten and the only bishopric member I knew where they were was in like the ward council meeting in one of the, you know, classrooms in the building that we were meeting in and i i got there and and i wasn't in the meeting i but i i opened the door and the bishop remembers across the room in the other corner from the door that i'm in and it's full of me you know 
couple dozen people mm-hmm. that are all part of this meeting because and and they're all college students you know and it's like and i have this tithing envelope and i like show the bishopric member that i have this tithing envelope and he's like waving you know for me to pass it to him and i go to pass it to someone and they're like i i literally cannot touch that <laughs> oh, envelope no. and i'm like <laughs> i don't want to walk all the way through your meeting can like you just can you just pass it like five rows over you know and uh and he's like i know i can't touch it like i can't touch it because it's tithing and i'm not in the bishopric so then i have to walk through the you know the or the class to to give it to him and and those are the sort of things that it's like it's just always rubbed me the wrong way but like you said i wouldn't leave the church over that right right i would just complain about it Uh (laughs) so yeah i think that those are examples of sort of the cultural things right but yeah, it, it's been kind of a process and kind of a journey to decide, you know, almost like at the end of the movie when Tevye's, you know, leaving, you mm-hmm. know, and, you know, nodding for the fiddler to follow him, to leave with him. It's like, which traditions do I like and do I want to keep as part of my life and which ones do I not want? And it was, and I, you know, I'm still going through that process, I guess. Yeah. I think that's just something, you know, over your lifetime that's, you know, that evolves that you have to choose kind of the things that you want to hold on to and choose the things that aren't working for you and Mm -hmm. get rid of them. So, well, and I love that, you know, in this, one of my favorite scenes was the wedding scene Mm -hmm. between the old, with the oldest daughter and the tailor. Right. Zeitel and Mottel. Yeah. Well, we had to watch it with the subtitles Uh just so I could catch everything. Yeah. And um, with watching with little kids, and I'll probably edit this out. But I thought it was funny. I was like, "Okay, she has to choose between Laser Wolf <laughs> and, and a guy whose name is spelled like Motel." motel. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, come on, yeah. Laser Wolf all the way, <laughs> the butcher. <laughs> I know. Well, that's the other thing. It's like Laser Wolf, the butcher. <laughs> like, what? How? Such a how cool could you name. Not have a cooler name, right? <laughs> so. But anyways, <laughs> anyway, so that wedding scene between the oldest daughter and the tailor, I loved that, you know, you have this like the radical yeah. guy who who's like, who says women are people radical. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, he's pushing them out of their comfort zone. Uh-huh. And what I love is that the community responds. They don't throw him out. They don't like shun him or reject well the, well first you know, first what they do is they go consult the rabbi right right and and the rabbi is like whatever <laughs> he's, he's like well <laughs> it's not strictly forbidden and they're like there you go right. there you, okay well yeah and that's our justification yeah. which is very mormon too of like well what does the prophet say and more importantly what does he not say yeah. <laughs> so that we can like have our restriction you know the guide rails that we can operate in yeah our mature rated tv shows you know (laughs) right right anyway um but what i love is that like you know they pull like the the rope that's um separating the men and the women Mm -hmm. and dance and and they just go go with it you know and and i just was thinking of like you know there's a, a looseness that feels like there's a looseness with traditions where they understand that like some of these things that are traditions are aren't necessarily like 100% you know like must be done this like way commandments and and so yeah so the rabbi is saying like yeah there's there's leeway here mm-hmm. 
And so they, they embrace it and say, well, then we're going to have some leeway right now. Yeah. And I feel like, especially in that scene with it being a wedding and we get like the traditional sort of things that happen and then they find their ways to have some fun and sort of let things loose a little bit. Yeah. And I, I just was thinking like, could you imagine I, a, a Mormon wedding that like had that same approach to it of like, we're going to have some like, we're going to treat things a little looser, you know, we're and gonna serve some iced tea. <laughs> right? and, and I feel like, um, but, but in the, you know, to me, it's like, sometimes the looseness like helps you recognize what is most important uh-huh. and it makes the things that are most important actually feel legitimate as opposed to just routine. Right. You know, and that like when they break those traditions, it feels like, well, now we know what was the most important thing and what was just part of the routine that is okay to like let let go for something more important, or, you know, mm-hmm. family and dancing with your wife. Yeah. And those sort of things. I think in Mormonism that, you know, you'd have a lot harder time doing that. Yeah. I feel like a lot of times the little cultural rules that are probably not so doctrinal mm-hmm. get made into things that feel like they're doctrinal by a lot of members. And so they get kind of conflated with the things that are actually more important. Right. And, you know, I, I think that there are a lot of members out there that understand the difference Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think that that would be, in general, harder for a, a Mormon group to do. Yeah. I think of things like, you know, sometimes church dances for, like, if you're 14 and up, you know, 14 to 18, you can go to, like, youth church dances. Uh-huh. And some, some places all had more, like, strict rules of, like, you had, there was a dress code yeah. that you had to follow in order to get into the dance. And that they would turn people away for not following the dress code. And that sometimes, like people who weren't members who, you know, had no idea about any of these rules and were coming with friends from high school or whatever, would come to these dances and get turned away because they weren't following the rules and and they're not even Mormon. And I feel like those, that sort of like, you know, holding to... We we could say pharisaical, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like it feels, yeah, I think that that's a good, good word to use of like, it does feel like the Pharisees of like where you're missing the forest for the trees sort of thing of like, you're so fixated on, on these little cultural things that you miss the more important thing of like, you know, I don't think that Jesus would say she can't come in because she's not following my dress code Yeah. to if, if there was the bigger picture is they can, you know, at a church dance, they're with their friends and it's going to be a safe environment where they can have fun and get to know people. And, and obviously from a church member's point of view, it's a missionary opportunity where having her come in, is an opportunity to hopefully one day help her join the church. But if you're turning her away because of how she looks, she's not going to want to come back. Going to be helpful. Yeah. And so it's kind of missing the point. On on that note, I don't know if there's anything else you want to say doctrinal um, versus not really. On that note, I feel like patriarchy is something that kind of stood out in this movie yeah, too. Yeah. Uh in a big way. And I think that his struggle, Tevia's struggle with like sort of being the patriarch and acting the part and and versus what he really feels and sort of that, you know, like there's moments where you can see like there's a softer man in there who like doesn't want to be the patriarch who's like, you know, ruling from on high. Mm-hmm. But then there are moments where he comes out, you know, the patriarch comes out yeah. in full force. And, and I feel like that also felt very, I mean, probably more than just 
Mormon, but felt very culturally Mormon, but just sort of also culture of the time and Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, that this is a more universal thing that I'm glad that we've moved past in a lot of ways and and then I still have work to do right as a society in other ways but it it felt nice you know this this sort of like it was all daughters and that they find their place in the world and he's okay with it but not okay with it yeah. and that struggle is was interesting to watch if not relatable from a mormon point of view right um so that reminds me of something that was talked about on a podcast that I listened to kind of in preparation for this episode mm-hmm. of ours. There's a podcast out there called a musical theater podcast. And wait, there are other podcasts. Yeah, there are other besides, podcasts besides uh, ours. Okay. And <laughs> uh, there was an episode on the Fiddler on the Roof. And the reason mm-hmm. why I wanted to listen to that in preparation for this episode and us talking is because this podcast is made by an LDS guy. Hmm. It's not like an LDS-related podcast at all. It's, it's like a musical theater yeah. podcast. Um, he happens to be LDS. And I listened to that. And he talks a couple of times throughout the episode about how this story relates to his experience in Mormonism. And um, mm-hmm. they get talking about, you know, kind of the patriarchy as well. He has a guest on there that he's interviewing. And they talk about how this is possibly one of the most feminist musicals out there. At right. least for its time, yeah. because it's all about the daughters and like, oh, they don't need somebody to tell them, you know, who they want to marry. They're going to make that decision for themselves. They're people and they have mm-hmm. thoughts and desires and they want to be able to enjoy their life. And so I thought that that was a really good point that you brought up about the patriarchy. And that's, you know, another sentiment that was discussed in another episode. And while yeah. while I'm talking about it, I also... Just want to mention, like, we'll put a link to the uh, the podcast and the episode in our description mm-hmm. so you can look it up. I thought it was a really good, interesting to listen to. But this guy that does it, I mentioned he's LDS, but he's also gay. And mm-hmm. he talks about his experience as a gay member of the church and a little bit throughout that episode and how it relates, you know, the movie relates to his experience, you know, being in a society where the people that he loves isn't going to work out for him too well. Yeah. Um, and so highly recommend it. It's called a musical theater podcast. I'll put the link in the description. Yeah. That sounds interesting. I think I, I you know, um, on that sort of note of like feminism and the patriarchy and this movie, yeah, sorry to derail, but get back to that. No, no, that was, was perfect. I was looking up, I just on LDS.org just searched fiddler on the roof just to see, what references are made were made in talks mm-hmm. and articles and church magazines. And one of the quotes that was, it was probably the most quoted was the line that Tevya says to his daughters. He says, remember in, is it Anatevka? Uh-huh. Yeah. In Anatevka, each one of you knows who she is and what God expects her to, to become. Uh-huh. And a lot, and this, this quote is, was used in a lot of talks to like young women and by like young women presidencies and sort of like, like here like and and it felt like a classic case of like taking a quote way out of context to because the quote fits what you want the to message they say want to, yeah the message that yeah but but within the context of the larger thing it's coming from this quote does not actually say what the the work is saying because you know Tevi is saying like here 
you know who you are and you know what God wants you to become. But by the end of the movie, none of them have become what Tevye thought that they should be. Yeah. To the point where, you know, and the oldest daughter is the closest, but the other two daughters have have gone far away from sort of the expectation uh-huh. of, you know, what Tevye thinks and is saying God wants them to become. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, it's one of those things where it's like, hey, I, I agree with sort of the if you take that quote to its eventual conclusion, like what you're saying in this talk, I like it, but that's not what you're saying. Yeah. In this talk, you know, like that. Um, and so I think it's one of those things, like it seems like a movie that probably could be misunderstood by members too, of like that be, they see only the similarities and sort of like leave it at face value. And they, and I wonder how often members of the church f- leave off the like, Oh, but all the, like all the daughters end up leaving mm-hmm. in some some degree, and like Tevia ends up having to like like we were saying like decide what traditions are worth keeping and what ones aren't, which and, ones he can um, you know explain away or right yeah that I feel like I wonder how you know like because I feel like I I experienced that when I would watch movies or see things that like oh that that connects to being Mormon but like the ultimate conclusion of the movie isn't very mormon yeah. and then it's like well it was mormon to a point yeah. you know and like i just feel like this movie i hope that people watch it and get all those messages by the end of the movie of like what the movie is saying at the end because i think they're really important messages for a mormon audience of like that debate about tradition and about how how we treat family mm-hmm. um and and sort of where family ranks in the hierarchy of our tradition and our beliefs and the, our important things. Yeah. I kept thinking of, there's a quote from Russell M. Nelson from a talk years ago about like unconditional, I think it's called divine love. Mm-hmm. And it's a talk that he gave one of the quotes that he says, it's kind of the blurb at the top of the article on LDS.org. But he says, while divine love can be called perfect, infinite, enduring, and universal, it cannot correctly be characterized as unconditional. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of the talk is then sort of going into like, you know, love is these things, but here's all the ways that I'm showing you it's not unconditional, that God's love is actually conditional. And one of the things that I love about Fiddler on the Roof is that, like, Tevye's love is pretty unconditional. Mm-hmm. Like, his daughters go against everything that he wants for him. And ultimately, in all three cases, like, he shows his love for them in the way that he can yeah. while still holding his, his faith, you know, yeah. and... And I feel like, I don't know, I was just thinking about that idea a lot of unconditional love and, and how this movie shows that. Where that's kind of what I was thinking with that, and I've kind of like your order of priorities, right? Like tradition versus family and everything else. Mm-hmm. I remember this being taught. I don't know if it's still like in lesson manuals or if it's still, you know, LDS kosher. But right. at least I remember while I was in the church that this was taught and not just culture but it was like legit mm-hmm. but it was um kind of the order of importance of your priorities was number one was your personal relationship to god and then number two was your family and then after that comes the church mm-hmm. and so like you know if you're having family issues that's more important than like if you're having a calling that's you know affecting that your family comes first right right but your own personal relationship with God is more important than your relationship with your family. And I think that's where a lot of Mormons like 
come in and, and like this movie when, you know, Tevye's not, you know, he's able to draw the line. He's like, okay, that goes too far. I can't mm-hmm. allow that. And I think that that's an example of what believing Mormons would say, you know, that's where you should go. Like, cause you know, there are some things that you shouldn't compromise on with your, with your yeah. faith and your beliefs. Not saying that I agree with that, but it just like, I think that's mm-hmm. where it's coming from. Yeah. Um, and why, and why some people have disowned their kids because they came out as gay or for other reasons like that. And not everybody does, but there are some, people in the church that interpret it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's a kid coming out or other issues that they can't bend on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, totally agree. And I feel like this movie, like, I don't, yeah, I don't necessarily agree with sort of everything Tevia does, but I at least understand his struggle. Yeah. Like they do a yeah. really good job in this movie of showing, uh, of helping us sympathize with him so that we understand why he's doing what he's and doing. Why it's such a hard choice. Right. And I, and I think that ultimately, like, yeah, I, th- I just think he he ends up making the choice that in the way that he can to to show the love that he can. And I think that that hierarchy of, you know, like you were talking about, fits him pretty close to a T. That yeah. like he has his relationship with God and he's always talking to him and then family and then the church. And that ultimately, you know, he's he's willing to get rid of some traditions because he feels like he can still find God and his family without them. Yeah. Do you think that your opinions about the movie would be different if you had seen it back you were, when you were you were a fully believing member? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I feel like a lot of things would probably be the same as far as like the movie itself, uh-huh. its story, and sort of you know how I liked the movie, yeah. just as a movie. Um, but I feel like, yeah, definitely, I I think my relationship with with faith in general is obviously different. Mm-hmm. I feel like if I watched it when I was believing, I probably would have had a harder time relating to Tevia's struggle. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I appreciate it more now yeah. than I might've then. And yeah. Um, like I loved it back when I was believing, but I, I love it just as much now. So yeah, not really a big change there. Yeah. I need to uh, learn some of the songs a little better. Yeah. I think catchy. I have a hard, I have a hard time on my first run through a musical of like catching songs and lyrics. Yeah. And so like Hamilton has taken me <laughs> like five, you know, 10 times to like finally start getting right. Right. The, you know, the lyrics and well, it's like they say about the temple, you know, each time you go to the temple, you like, you learn something new. <laughs> same, same with right. the Hamilton. Each time you watch it, you catch another couple lyrics that <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, anyways, as the good book says, as the good book says, this has been Post Mormon at <laughs> the movies. So thanks for listening, uh, Lachaim and and Laser Wolf, Laser Wolf forever, <laughs> Team Laser Wolf. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Post Mormon at the movies is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow us for regular updates and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so that you can download episodes as they become available. Thank you for listening, and we will see you at the movies next time.